Proverbs chapter 20, Sunday morning we're studying a series uh, in topical series uh, through the book of Proverbs. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, just flag one of these guys coming up the aisle right now and uh, they've got Bibles marked to the passage so you can uh, hear the word and read it as well. And, um, and then if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you today. Uh, just a reminder, on Sunday nights we go through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and uh, currently studying uh, the book of Acts this evening at 6, and each of you are invited. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Let's pray. Father, we ask that just in your grace and your love for us that you would add your voice to your word in corporate ways you speak to us as all of us at once in this room and then in the individual way that we need to hear your voice this morning. We pray that you would anoint us by your spirit to um, have ears to hear what it is that you want to speak to us this morning. And we pray and we ask for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. And as I mentioned on Sunday morning, we're in a topical series through the book of Proverbs entitled Timeless Wisdom, and it is God's instruction for how to live a life in this world that is a blessing to God, it is a blessing to our fellow man, it is a blessing to us, and how to do it in the fallenness of this world that we live in, all the mountaintop experiences, all of the valley, all of the nitty-gritty and difficulty of, uh, of life. And uh, this morning we come to God, Solomon's God-given wisdom concerning uh, the use of alcohol. Uh, the need for this instruction is really apparent all around uh, the nation that we live in. And indeed, I don't think it would be um, speaking with hyperbole to say that Solomon's instruction concerning the use of alcohol is even more needed in the United States of America today than ever it was in the culture in which uh, he wrote this by the Holy Spirit. According to the latest statistics that we have from the CDC on the subject, the Center for Disease Control, more than uh, 140,000 people in the United States die from excessive alcohol use each year. Now, to give a little bit of perspective related to that, that compares to the 58,000 American soldiers who were killed during the entirety of the Vietnam uh, War. It is a massive number of people who die annually in this country. Uh, associated with ex excessive alcohol use. The economic cost of the excessive use of alcohol uh, each year in the United States is $249 billion. It costs our health care uh, system uh, for problems caused by excessive drinking $28 billion a year. It costs our criminal justice system, justice systems, including law enforcement, the court system, uh, criminal justice costs $25 billion. Uh, the cost to employers in terms of loss of productivity uh, because of uh, excessive drinking on the part of their employees is $179 billion a year. The cost of motor vehicle crashes uh, annually due to drunk driving is $13 billion. That does not take into account the injuries, uh, the fatalities associated uh, with it, uh, the heartbreak, the changed lives of families uh, that are associated uh, uh, with that. For perspective, $249 billion, the amount that we spend on, uh, on treating excessive alcohol use in the United States of America, that number exceeds the annual budget of all but 12 nations in the entire world. That amount of money is larger than the budget of 183 countries in the world today. 
40% of those costs, these costs, end up being borne either by the federal government or the state government or by local uh, governments, meaning that taxpayers pay that part of the bill. In the state of California, for instance, it costs every average resident here $940 annually from their taxes and fees and other costs to them uh, to address this issue in just our state alone. According to the latest statistics from the NIH, the National Institute of Health, uh, latest statistics on this being 2021, approximately 29.5 million people ages 12 and above had an ADU, an uh, alcohol use disorder, in the last year. They define an ADU as a medical condition characterized by an impaired ability to stop or control alcohol use despite adverse social, occupational, or health consequences. And so it is ADU is a a replacement synonym of what is known as uh, alcoholism or alcohol uh, addiction, the consequences of being an alcoholic. And this is uh, only who they're aware of. 29.5 million Americans dealing with alcoholism, and it doesn't even count the number of people that are trying to deal with it on their own and are seeking no uh, uh, help. Estimates suggest that Alcohol was involved in at least 7.1% of all emergency room visits nationwide, and it played a role in 17.5% of all opioid uh, overdoses in 2020, uh, the latest year for which there are statistics. An analysis of death certificates from 2019 to 2020, again, the latest data that we have, showed that deaths involving alcohol uh, in just one year increased 25.5%. In other words, presently in the United States of America, the problem is getting worse, and it's getting much worse uh, by the year. In the language of the NIH, among people who die by suicide, alcoholism is the second most common uh, denominator. Uh, Collectively, Americans lose over 3.59 million years of potential life due to excessive uh, drinking. Uh, The measure, uh, the effect of uh, alcoholism on relationships, specifically upon marriages, upon spouses, upon children, is uh, absolutely immeasurable. And because then you have the problems, not just the drinking problems, but all of the problems of the alcoholic now becoming uh, the problems of the spouse and uh, becoming the problems of, uh, of uh, the, the children. Uh, because as we'll see, uh, alcohol, the abuse of alcohol, because it lowers inhibitions, uh, it clouds a person's judgment, uh, it makes a person more prone to violence, it, and, and it puts a family under a great, typically great uh, financial uh, burden, just to name a few. And that doesn't even count uh, the emotional uh, and the, the mental harm and damage that, uh, that uh, a person, uh, such a person can do to their family. Uh, Presently, approximately 10.5% or 7.5 million uh, of uh, the United States children, uh, of of the children, uh, 7.5 million of the children in the United States, ages 17 and younger, live with a parent who is engaged in alcohol abuse. And this is not even beginning to track or including uh, drug abuse or substance abuse. And I mention all of, uh, all of this not to make a case uh, uh, for the total abstinence of alcohol by everyone because if we banned everything in life that uh, some portion of the population uh, abuses or struggles with, uh, but that most of the population engages in wisely, 
then we would have to ban many uh, medicines. We would have to ban uh, automobiles. We would have to ban uh, food. Uh, we would have to ban even uh, work. I mention all of this in order to make a case for uh, the need in our country for uh, having God's instruction uh, to us concerning the use of alcohol as it's found in the book of Proverbs and elsewhere in the Bible. Alcohol use is not prohibited in the scriptures as much as I might as a pastor and as many who deal uh, with the consequences uh, up close of uh, alcoholism and drunkenness in terms of uh, the price that in individuals pay, families pay, the culture pays, as much as the temptation would be to try and build the case from the scriptures uh, that they forbid the use of alcohol. It simply can't be done uh, biblically because uh, it, it is the partaking of alcohol is not forbidden in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. I, I could be wrong, of course, but I think one of the biggest reasons that in the past the, that Christian pastors and leaders on this subject within the, the body of Christ in, in the United States historically kind of set up these various legalisms concerning uh, our, uh, 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 the use of alcohol, our contact with the world, uh, and, and uh, would set up legalistic things where saying that uh, no Christian should ever partake of alcohol and uh, that to do so is a sin and outside of, uh, outside of God's uh, world. And, and I think that in the past, this kind of thing has been done because uh, out of a fear, out of a concern that maybe the average pastor has that the average Christian doesn't, uh, doesn't possess the spiritual maturity uh, or possess a love for God that is greater than anything else in the world that is required uh, to recognize this to be a liberty in the Christian life and to handle it in, in a mature uh, uh, way that Christians uh, can enter into, might be able to enter into, not only stand in, in terms of the temptations of the world, but in, enter into any and all environments in the world and be an influence for God. The, most, the easiest thing for a pastor to do or for leaders to do is to uh, run immediately to legalism and to uh, set up artificial and legalistic boundaries as a means of keeping Christians from being around those kind of environments or those kind of substances uh, at, at all. And the harder thing to do is to produce Christians who possess, again, the spiritual maturity, the deep uh, love for God that is greater than anything uh, that would affect adversely that relationship or our Christian uh, uh, witness. And so the reality that we face today as Christians and certainly as leaders in the United States of America is that uh, not only does this legalistic view not work biblically, but it doesn't work uh, in our culture uh, as it once did to say, uh, you know, steer clear of it. It's always, it's a sin. It's always outside of God's will for a Christian. And so the problem we face today is that sin and addiction, all sin and addiction, has become so pervasive and it's become so um, accessible. Uh, there was a time even in my lifetime uh, in the United States of America where uh, perhaps in some parts of the country, maybe not urban areas, but everywhere else, you could try and create kind of a bubble, a Christian bubble for people at church and then encourage them to stay in various Christian bubbles uh, throughout the rest of the week. And so uh, make sure that you're, uh, you know, in, in, when you uh, go to this environment or you go with your neighbors or you go to this uh, Bible study during the week or you're around this, make sure that you're in this environment where there's the same understanding related to, uh, to alcohol, that it, it is... Uh, 
that it's a sin to partake of it, and you'll need that to be able to stand um, in, in the midst of it. And I think that because of our Christian heritage, that uh, there were places, plenty of places within our culture where uh, uh, Christians uh, could avoid uh, contact with uh, many, many sins and many, many uh, abuses that, that go on within any country, uh, but today these things are too prevalent, again, too accessible. The only solution uh, is, is that uh, Christians, not to teach them to avoid uh, this uh, or, or avoid any and all threats to uh, our, our faith, and then to, to get them to artily, artificially protect uh, their, uh, their Christian uh, spiritual immaturity through legalism, uh, but now to, again, uh, do the hard work, to do the harder work of educating Christians biblically in how God sees these things and how we're to conduct ourselves in, a, in, in an environment where these things are prevalent. The United States of America that allowed for a legalistic approach to what the Bible does not forbid uh, in, in trying to address Christians, that America presently no longer exists. A legalistic model uh, will not work. It'll only take Christian maturity to stand in this world, and it forces us to the good thing of developing a Christian life like the one that we see in the New Testament where all of these things were on full parade uh, 2,000 years ago and Christians uh, handled them in a victorious way. It is important to remember the difference between Christian liberties and sin. Sin refers to anything that God prohibits uh, and it is, uh, and anything that's forbidden by God in the scriptures, that's binding upon all Christians. Uh, liberties refer to those things that are lawful for a Christian to engage in, and, uh, but which Christians will decide for themselves whether they want that particular thing to be a part of their life or, or not. And so they can partake or not partake, uh, do or not do based upon their own uh, convictions. And the use of alcohol is uh, one of those liberties. The use of alcohol was not prohibited in the Old Testament. There was, wine was commonly used as a, uh, a commodity in the ancient world, uh, oftentimes given the fact that water supplies were uh, iffy, a lot of microorganisms in the water and that kind of thing. And so to add a little bit of alcohol to that uh, would kill those and make the water uh, safe. And so uh, it, it uh, played a part in, in that uh, kind of fresh drinking water and safe water uh, when we don't have you know, the kind of sources we have today. It was regularly, regularly used by the Jews as a part of their religious festivals and uh, celebrations. Even uh, sacrifices were made to God under the law of Moses uh, involving wine, the drink offering, uh, for example. Uh, also, when you read the poetic books in the Bible, uh, you, oftentimes uh, joy or celebration is spoken of symbolically as uh, wine and a, a way of recognizing and celebrating uh, the goodness of God and the blessings of God in, in the life of God's uh, people. The use of alcohol is not prohibited in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus' first miracle was uh, turning the water into wine at the, uh, the, the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And sometimes people say, well, he turned it into grape juice. No, he didn't turn it into grape juice. They served the wine, and the master of the feast said, you've kept the best grape juice for last. No, that's not what he said. And he wouldn't have commended it if it was grape juice. He said, you've saved the best wine uh, for last. Uh, Jesus clearly partook of wine during his public ministry. One of the, he mentions himself, one of the accusations that was made against him by uh, his enemies unfairly 
uh, he uh, declared, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So clearly, he ate food, clearly he drank wine, uh, but just as clearly, he never crossed the line into gluttony related to food, and he never crossed the line into drunkenness uh, as it relates to uh, uh, alcohol. Paul counseled Timothy, Timothy famously in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 23, no longer to just drink water because of his constant uh, stomach problems, to add a little wine, to drink a little wine. Uh, again, Timothy was with Paul at that time. They're traveling missionaries. They're being exposed to water sources uh, that are very different from what they were raised in and the natural, you know, kind of uh, resistance to those things and getting sick apparently in some way. And so because uh, the water could be iffy, he says, go ahead and drink a little wine and, uh, and make it safer for you. Jesus made it a symbol of his blood in instituting uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, perhaps for, uh, because of its color, perhaps for some other uh, reason. Sometimes people, I've been asked through the years once in a while, um, when, we, when we serve the Lord's Supper here, we always use grape juice. We never use wine. And the reason that we don't is because uh, there are so many people uh, who uh, struggle with alcohol or uh, have to abstain from it completely without it uh, becoming a... Uh, you know, a, a life dominating or to tumble back down into an addictive pattern or whatever. It's just simply not worth the aggravation. And uh, we want everybody to partake of communion that can partake of communion. And grape juice allows uh, that uh, to happen. Someone might wonder at this point in, uh, in my sermon, um, I think that Pastor Davian is saying all of this in order to uh, legitimize a... Um, secret drinking problem in his life. <laughs> I, I, I personally do abstain from alcohol, and principally because of my position, <clears throat> not solely, but principally because of my position uh, as a pastor. I don't want to stumble anyone who is a Christian. And the body of Christ holds very strong convictions in both uh, in, in, in both views uh, related to alcohol, whether it is a liberty for them or not, or whether it's a liberty for anyone or not in the body uh, of, of Christ. And so I never want to partake of anything that would cause, uh, keep anyone from being able to come here and uh, be distracted from receiving, hearing the word of God from me uh, by something as small as uh, partaking of that or not. Whether we like it or not, and, and I think a, a wise pastor takes it into consideration, um, in the culture in which we live in, alcohol is uh, viewed and, and noticed within our culture. And uh, it's my personal conviction uh, that yet uh, today in the United States of America, if you were to walk into a restaurant and you were to see me sitting at a table with two bottles of beer in front of me, there would be one group, a relatively small group, would say, very, very cool. Uh, and then there would be ten times as many, a hundred times as many, for whom it would create a complication in their mind concerning me and receiving the Word of God. So it's not worth the aggravation to me at all. Now, I draw the line with coffee and chocolate. If that's a problem for somebody, they just have to deal with that. I'm not a, a, an absolute saint in, uh, in, in, in this regard. So uh, Paul, I, I follow Paul's, Apostle Paul's model in this as he wrote of his own practice in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, uh, lest I make my brother stumble. Romans chapter 14, verse 21. Uh, it is good neither to eat meat uh, nor drink wine 
nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or uh, is made uh, weak. The Apostle Paul had a very interesting standard related to his life in terms of uh, the practice of liberties. His standard, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, and church at Corinth was like liberty central. I mean, that's, that's all they cared about. And Paul said, he said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. And he took his Christian life from weighing liberties in his life as just merely being lawful to him to ask of those liberties, does this help me? Does this help me spiritually in my Christian life and in my Christian service? Does this edify me, build me up in my spiritual life? And if it didn't, then out went the liberty. And I don't think anyone will ever regret uh, making that same standard of his uh, our standard as well. Additionally, on a personal level for me related to this, I try to be careful with anything in life that has the potential to addict. And it doesn't matter what the thing uh, might be. And I, I am very, very strict on introducing thing, anything into my life that then might become life dominating and a struggle for me for the rest of my life. And so I have seen uh, the power and the pull of this and other addictions and what it takes for people to deal with it and to get clean related to it and all. I look at it and I say, I don't need the aggravation. And, uh, and so I, I steer clear of it. What is prohibited biblically concerning uh, the use of alcohol is uh, drunkenness, coming under the influence of alcohol. To use, uh, to use alcohol, uh, the use of it uh, moves from being a liberty to a sin uh, if, uh, if this occurs. Now uh, I come under the influence of alcohol. And so uh, in the popular vernacular, and it, it, uh, uh, you get a buzz on. Uh, or you start to feel it. And it's important when the Bible talks about uh, not coming under the influence of alcohol, it's not talking about don't get uh, falling down, can't walk down the street drunk. It's talking about coming under the influence of alcohol uh, at all. And, uh, and that, uh, if we do, then it goes from a liberty to becoming a sin. In this regard, uh, Paul wrote to us as Christians famously in this regard, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, debauchery, uh, uh, a, 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 a wasted life, and, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so our lives are never to come under the control uh, of alcohol because at that point, something catastrophic happens uh, for the Christian. And the moment we, become, we come under the control of alcohol, we cease to be under the control uh, of the Holy Spirit. And so for the Apostle Paul, I mean, he just writes one sentence about it, doesn't elaborate, and I think the reason that he doesn't is that for him, this alone should be, be enough to keep a Christian from ever drinking in excess from moving uh, from the use of alcohol as a liberty into the sin of drunkenness. In Paul's mind, the Christian is to be a person who so prizes the privilege and the blessing of being controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, that any thought of choosing to supplant his place in our our thinking and our decision-making uh, with anything else, much less uh, getting drunk or loaded, would just be an appalling thought to a serious uh, Christian, a frightening thought. You think about the priceless uh, blessing and privilege it is to live uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and under uh, His influence. 
Now, let's spend the remainder of our time by moving on to the wisdom uh, that uh, Solomon gives us in this book concerning uh, this subject. And so, while partaking of uh, alcohol, uh, it's not forbidden in Scripture, not forbidden in the Old Testament, not forbidden in the New Testament, but it is rife with pitfalls that Solomon uh, wants to make sure uh, that we are aware of in order to uh, successfully navigate it with God's wisdom. Solomon is going to make those pitfalls uh, the focus of his, his instruction concerning the use of alcohol. As we read in chapter 20, verse 1, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and anyone who is led astray by it is not wise. And so, uh, poetically here, Solomon tells us two things about wine and strong drink. Uh, in the ancient world, there was the drinking of wine, uh, then there was also the drinking of beer, and then stronger drink I as well, as they would produce it from grains, and uh, just as is done uh, today. And, and so, two things about the effect of wine and strong drink upon the user in excess. He says, first of all, it's a mocker, literally a scorner, a scoffer. That is, in many people, uh, it turns them into a loudmouth. And under the influence of alcohol, uh, they say things that they would never otherwise say. And, uh, and drunkenness is extraordinarily destructive uh, in this. And the Bible teaches that each one of us, even as Christians, uh, we have an old nature, an Adam nature inside of us, a sin nature, and we have a new nature, a spiritual nature by the Holy Spirit uh, within our lives. And both of these spirits are, are, are uh, warring against one another or they are lusting uh, the, the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. One of the things that makes us long for heaven is one day that battle will be over. There'll be no temptation. There'll be no world flesh and the devil to tempt us and to pull us uh, into sin. But that goes on in our lives uh, today. And... Uh, and we don't like the, our old Adam nature, the potential fruit of, uh, of our old Adam nature. And so in the power of the Holy Spirit, we use considerable discipline to keep the old nature at bay. And, uh, but drunkenness removes us from being under the control of the Holy Spirit, and it opens up a Pandora's box, uh, so to speak, in terms of now... Uh, giving expression to the flesh. And if you, every one of us in this room, every person in this world is worse than anything we ever do or we ever think. And no one in their right mind wants to lose control of keeping those things in their right place within our, our lives. And so, where uh, oftentimes, is, Solomon says here, where somebody, uh, when somebody is drunk, and the, the tendency to speak in this way, not only uh, where we find, uh, we will not only say things that we wouldn't otherwise say, but say things we don't even really believe to be true. But it's been said. Now it's done. Now it's out. Now it's a part of the relationship. You think about how many people have said things while drunk and then they sober up and they find out what it is that they said and then they think to themselves, I don't even believe that. I don't even believe that to be true here. And yet I, I said it, it was there somewhere to be sure, but it's a thought that I don't believe and keep suppressed because I don't believe it, and then alcohol allows all of that to come out. Drunkenness disables needed inhibitions in our lives and uh, uh, discernment and self-control and humility in our lives. This also speaks of the fact that drunkenness makes the drunk an object of scorn. 
in the eyes of other people, the object of scorn among uh, the sober. And uh, that is drunkenness never does anything in a person's life to elevate their esteem of them in the minds of other people. It always sullies uh, a reputation. You never hear anybody say, well, you know, he's mean and cruel, but on the other side, uh, uh, the other flip of the coin is uh, he's a drunk. It, 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 you never hear that said. It's a, uh, it can never be put in the commendable side of a person's life. Nobody says, uh, let me tell you the amazing exemplary thing uh, that I did when I was drunk. Because amazing exemplary things don't get done when we're drunk. It's a dissipation, Paul, uh, Paul said. Second, he tells us that drunkenness is a brawler. That is, it turns a person into a brawler. And so it can make a person uh, more aggressive and quick-tempered than they would normally uh, be. And then that leads to very regrettable uh, anger and violence. And uh, the char- this characteristic of uh, drunkenness is so prevalent within our culture We've put a nickname to it and where alcohol is called uh, liquid courage. And so a person, uh, Solomon says, can't be considered wise who gets drunk and creates this kind of vulnerability uh, in their lives. It is a wise person who takes these dangers uh, seriously. In Proverbs chapter 23, if you just turn a couple pages over, we'll look at our next passage. Oh, it's so nice and warm in here, isn't it? (laughs) Proverbs 23, verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters, Uh, of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will uh, clothe a man with rags. And so here you have the Holy Spirit through Solomon telling us that uh, drunkenness, like all uh, addictions, uh, generally leads to poverty. It takes over a person's life uh, to such a degree uh, that they would rather uh, drink and be clothed in rags uh, then stop drinking and, uh, and, and have sufficient clothes to wear. There are many other reasons for poverty uh, in life that have absolutely nothing to do with, uh, with drunkenness, but drunkenness definitely plays a very significant part in the poverty of, of many people. Here we, uh, we see that drunkenness is hardly a condition that uh, makes a person employable, that no employer is looking for uh, uh, someone uh, who, uh, uh, the kind of person that uh, drunkenness produces, and uh, it doesn't produce the kind of alertness and motivation and diligence that an employer is looking for in his or her employees. And so, ultimately, such a person ends up being uh, unemployable. One common uh, characteristic of the wine-bibber and the glutton is that both of them are undisciplined in their life by virtue of of being a wine-bibber and by virtue of being uh, a a glutton. In other words, for the man or woman, any man or woman, certainly any Christian man or or woman who lacks self-discipline, in, in your life. And most of us recognize where, that whether we are a disciplined person or we are not a disciplined person. We're aware of that about ourselves. An undisciplined person should steer clear of alcohol completely, even as a liberty, and, and completely avoid Uh, any environment where alcohol plays a prevalent part. Because for the undisciplined person, alcohol represents an extraordinary danger to that that person. And so this is a a temptation that needs to be avoided completely 
by the undisciplined. Well, let's turn to our final passage in Proverbs uh, chapter 23. You won't, maybe won't even have to turn to it as we go down to verse 29. And this is the longest of, of uh, uh, Solomon's Proverbs uh, written concerning uh, this subject. He says, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions, who has complaints, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes? And the idea is at this point you'd be saying, who? <laughs> and then he answers the question in the next verse, those who linger long at the wine and those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it's red and when it sparkles in the cup and when it swirls around uh, smoothly, whether in the cup or down the throat. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies on the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. And when shall I awake that I may seek another uh, drink? And here you have Solomon really using uh, sanctified uh, sarcasm to expose the folly of a life of drunkenness. And, and so he, he uh, subjects the life of drunkenness uh, to a sanctified ridicule here. In verse 29, he details the fruit of, of such a life. Uh, woe, that is trouble. Uh, sorrow, it's a lifestyle that has much regret associated with it. Contentions, as we've seen, fights and quarrels. Uh, complaints, uh, a drunkard typically is a complainer, uh, complaining about the injustices of the world and self-pity and and, uh, and uncon unconstructive complaining, uh, wounds without cause, that is wounds that are unnecessary to receive in life, redness of eyes, talking about bloodshot eyes, talking about uh, the general uh, adverse effect upon appearance of, of drunkenness. And unfailingly, uh, this is what it produces, emotional problems, uh, mental problems and physical problems, social problems as well. In verse 30, he answers the question, as I mentioned, he posed in verse 29, that this is the portion of the drunk. In verse 31, he expresses the lure uh, of alcohol and, uh, and what it promises. Somebody might ask, wow, given all of those kind of potential consequences, what's the, what's the attraction of it? And uh, he said, in the cup, it looks attractive, it looks innocent, uh, it looks like it's incapable of doing any kind of harm uh, to, uh, to anyone. And then in verses 32 to 35, he describes what it actually uh, delivers. At the last, it bites like a serpent, uh, and it stings like a viper. And this would certainly speak to uh, the hangover that a person uh, associated with drunkenness, but even more uh, that when it is abused, it, inter it introduces a poison. It's an interesting way to think about for, for a drunkard, uh, to think about uh, a glass of wine or any alcohol as the fangs of a serpent uh, digging into our, uh, into our flesh and, and, and injecting a, a poison uh, into us. And so alcohol uh, it, uh, when it's abused, it introduces a poison into the system that has the potential to uh, kill. And so 140,000 Americans each year uh, testify to uh, the observation of Solomon here. In verse 33, your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. In other words, you can no longer uh, trust your uh, senses, whether what you're seeing is imaginary or whether it's real, and you're unable to uh, speak clearly. In verse 34, yes, you shall be like one who lies down on the, in the midst of the sea or one, uh, like one who lies at the top uh, of the mast, uh, saying, they've struck me, but I was not hurt. They've beaten me, but I did not feel. Verse 34 describes someone who is staggering to and fro. 
uh, because of their drunkenness, in the same way a, a, a ship is tossed in a storm on the sea. And he draws this poetic language uh, related, uh, uh, related to that. And then he talks about uh, a, a drunkard being at the top of a mast uh, during a storm. And so this back and forth and, and you know, the things that are going on inside of them and the uh, instability and the sensation of, of all of it. I mean, nobody in their right mind on a ship in the middle of a storm is going to go to the top of the mast and ride out the storm uh, up, up there. And, uh, and, and so uh, the, the drunkard uh, becomes oblivious to the danger that they've put themselves in and the vulnerability uh, that they have, how vulnerable they've made their life to be. Um, it's interesting that approximately 50% of all victims in the United States of violent uh, sexual crimes um, had been drinking at the time of their assault. Um, talking about the vulnerability that this places us in in life. A vulnerability that Solomon is saying we don't have the margins to allow ourselves, uh, to put ourselves in, in any culture, certainly not this one. And, and the estimates concerning the perpetrators, usually men of these assaults, ranges that alcohol is involved in as high as 75, 74% of them. And then the NIH in their article related to this, talking about the importance of avoiding environments where predators are looking, parties, uh, bars, where predators are looking for uh, uh, someone that has incapacitated themselves and made themselves vulnerable uh, to sexual assault and they're very, very good at uh, making a prey of such a person. And of course, all of this and the place of alcohol in it is uh, largely ignored uh, and it's an epidemic in our culture. And verse 35 uh, communicates that though beaten while drunk, uh, he didn't feel it at the time. And uh, so oblivious to the physical damage done to him. And then at the latter part of verse 35, and when shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And so he awakes from his drunkenness after having slept it off. He assesses himself for all of the physical damage, all of the bruises, all of the cuts, all of that. And uh, he doesn't think to himself, I must never do this again in my life. But he puts all of that physical damage out of his mind and his mind is set solely on finding another drink and doing it all over again. And it speaks to the addictive nature uh, of, of alcohol and that... Uh, uh, that uh, that insanity that while he is destroying his life on every level, the insanity becomes familiar. And the insanity becomes pleasurable in a perverse way. And there's a familiarity with that lifestyle. That's why the statistics are so high on children of alcoholics marrying Alcoholics, there's a familiarity about it in the, the deep forming, the formulation of our heart, mind, soul, and strength in our youth and as children, and, and that's being fashioned. And, uh, and so uh, the strong, strong addictive pull uh, of this. And everything about Solomon's uh, description here is intended to uh, alert the thinking person to ever putting ourselves in a, this kind of a place. And whether that requires abstaining completely uh, from the use of alcohol uh, or uh, uh, partaking it, of it with the greatest, greatest uh, vigilance and care. And so to be forewarned is to be forearmed, as the old saying goes. And so Solomon makes his focus, and what he writes on this subject is the warning. 
so that we can be forearmed. What he writes here in terms of alcohol, he's writing to his son, but he's writing to all of us, but he's writing from the perspective of his instruction being preventative to keep us from ever becoming enslaved by alcohol. And so that instruction is invaluable to us. But what if you sit here this morning and you're already enslaved? There's no preventative for you. You may even think, I wish somebody had said this to me. I don't know when, but I wish they had. But here I am, ensnared and captured by this. And what you need to do, and that's a completely different sermon. This is a preventative one, a solution one. And where to go from here, it's another sermon. I would head into it, but it's way too warm. I just want you to know, get some help. Get some help. And we're here to help. There's a drug and alcohol ministry that's a part of the church. You can come in and meet with one of the pastors, and we are here to help you walk forward from the place in your life where you hear a sermon like this. And God has a path forward for you into freedom, not only for the Christian, but for the non-Christian. If you sit here this morning, your first step in terms of freedom related to alcohol or any addiction in life is to first put my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, be born again, that is the Holy Spirit, comes into my life. Now I have God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit in my life with which to resist this thing that I've given to my, myself to or to, uh, to my flesh in general. But no one's going to be successful from addiction without that help from God. And to be born again by the Holy Spirit, that's your first step. Be made a new creation and then let God take you by the hand and walk you out of it. There's, God is bigger than any of our problems, and he is bigger than all of our problems. And that's why there's hope in any situation, because God is willing to introduce himself into any situation in our lives. And so if you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, begin the relationship with God that you need and that you've been created for. There are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship today. For all of us in this room today, if you need prayer for anything that's going on in your life, they would love to pray with you and for you as well. Let's stand together now, and we'll close in prayer.